Hey everyone, it's Jackie and Anita. Welcome to Chain Reaction, where we unpack and explain the latest in crypto news, drama, and trends, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Okay, holy shit. I don't even know how to start this one. We were going to do a little <laughs> mental check-in. Deep breath. little vibe check. Yeah. We hope you are all well. We are yes. not. We hope you're uh, touching grass. We hope you're listening to this by the beach or in the sun, if there's sun where you are. Currently, it's a little dark here, but we hope you are having a wonderful day. Yeah. <laughs> Amid everything that's going on. <laughs> really important to keep calm and just keep putting one foot in front of the other. There is a lot of shit going down in the crypto industry, and it's particularly interesting and chaotic timing for me and Jackie and the TechCrunch crypto team here because we are heading into our crypto event next week on November 17th in Miami. And so much has been changing. There's been lots of news happening in real time. So I think we should just dive right into it and give you a little breakdown of what's gone down this past week. Yeah, let's do it. Anita, do you want to give the rundown on what's going on with FTX? I will take a crack at attempting (laughs) to explain (laughs) the absolute fuckery that has just occurred. Okay, so basically, two of the biggest crypto exchanges, Binance and FTX, were beefing this week, actually for, for months, they have two billionaire founders, Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX and then Changpeng Zhao, also known as CZ of Binance. So they were beefing on Twitter and Binance, uh, CZ actually, Binance's chief executive said that Binance was planning to sell its holdings of FTX's native token. He raised concerns about FTX's financial strength and its balance sheet in particular after he sent out these tweets, FTX's token, which is called FTT, plummeted in price. And FTX customers got spooked. And this caused almost a bank run of sorts, which is kind of a throwback to what we were seeing with some of you know the DeFi exchanges earlier this year. So customers are trying to pull out their funds. FTX has a huge liquidity issue on its hands. And they have now frozen withdrawals on the exchange. So then Binance came in and they said that they had signed a letter of intent to potentially buy FTX. It gave them the option to do so. And this was um, Tuesday. And basically, CZ had said that he got a call from SBF asking him to please bail out FTX, the exchange. And so now, after about a day of due diligence that Binance has been conducting into whether it wants to actually purchase FTX or not, Binance has decided that it is walking away from the deal. So here we are. I've gotten you up to speed. Thank you, Anita, for that. Yeah, crazy times. It's hard to keep up with everything going on right now. But basically, going off that, you know, Binance said, It was an issue beyond their control or ability to help. So what the internal conversations looked like, we're definitely, uh, I don't know if we'll ever find out what those conversations look like, but. Yeah, I would be dying to get a look at that balance sheet and what that actually looked like. But um, it's been a real mess. And so Jackie and I thought that today we would just break down two of the big areas where I think that, you know, this is going to have a lot of major implications because really this is a market moving story in a lot of ways. And the first topic we wanted to dive into was what does this mean for VC and what does it mean for crypto startups? Yeah. So basically I spoke to a bunch of VCs today and yesterday and the general consensus is that VCs historically don't really get offended or affected by secondary market movements, but the situation with FTX has some looking for what might be, quote unquote, the next right opportunity. And there's a lot of unsaid things here. And until the situation is fully taken care of, capital raises will remain limited for the next couple of months is what I'm hearing. And some are saying up to a year. So it might be a very long time in the crypto world before things are changed or recovered. Yeah, just for a little 
context here. I mean, FTX had huge venture backing and a lot of their venture backers are looking pretty foolish right now, to be honest. Sequoia is one of the big names that I know people have been scrutinizing. But just in general, not only did they have a lot of VC backers themselves, they also had a venture arm that was a big backer of a lot of startups in the crypto ecosystem. So this is really where you start to see a lot of the ripple effects that are going to trickle through the entire you know, crypto startup space. Yeah, it also points to the conversation of like, what was the due diligence like for these VCs and these massive funds? <laughs> due diligence. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. I don't know. It's just, uh, I guess we'll never really know. I mean, I saw the Sequoia blog post about how they thought FTX was, or Sam Bankman Freed, FTX's CEO, was a genius and how much they loved him and how they had to invest in his company. And it's just like, I would take that. And how down. he was playing uh <laughs> he was playing League of Legends during the meeting, but they were still so impressed by him. It's oh it's a very gosh. wild post. Y'all should check it out if you have a second. Yeah. Then on the other hand, you have to remember that with the whole FTX situation going on right now, there are people and VC funds who had capital on FTX's exchange, and they currently cannot withdraw this, and they might not ever see that money again. So even if some of these funds wanted to deploy capital, they might not be able to, or they might lose the funds completely. For example, uh, the block reported earlier today that Multicoin Capital was hit by the FTX collapse with about 10% of its master funds, total AUM still pending withdrawals. So that's like a direct impact that we're already seeing. And there's going to be more dominoes falling after this, I'd imagine, similar to what we saw with Celsius, Voyager, and BlockFi over the summer and the Terra Luna situation. So many people had money staked in the Terra ecosystem. And so many people probably had funds on FTX's exchange. So this is just the beginning, honestly. To backtrack a little bit into how exactly we got into such a massive shit show in the crypto sector <laughs> over the past week, like I want to say that some of the issues with FTX's balance sheet are actually like fairly common throughout the crypto industry. Like one of the things was, uh, the, the key issue was that they had basically created their own token, FTT, and a ton of the value that was being held in FTX was in the form of that token, which was tied up in its sister entity, Alameda Research. Mm -hmm. That's a whole thing too. But that token was also highly concentrated in terms of its ownership and Binance had a huge stake in those tokens. So even though they didn't actually go about liquidating their entire position yet, and that was sort of a process that they, they started and then halted um, and might continue at this point, I don't know. But basically all that Binance had to do was just even say that they had some concerns around FTX and that they were planning on liquidating FTT. And because that ownership share was so concentrated, that was part of what caused some of this issue. And so when we look at, you know, all these crypto disasters that have unfolded over the past year, it really does harken back to the Terra days and the Luna days and the 3AC days, because all of these exchanges and all these entities and industry players are just so intertwined. Yeah, it seems like a lot of these big players, and this is something an investor I spoke to earlier today said that like, there's a circle and these big players are in a circle together and either you're in it or you're out of it. And people outside of the circle can build and make things and do well in the industry too. But those in the circle, it's almost like incestual the way they're all intertwined with each other. <laughs> and it's like one is seen as a scammer and then they'll yell at another person. And then it turns out they're a scammer too, or, you know, they had a Ponzi scheme. And it's like, maybe they didn't think what they had was a Ponzi scheme to begin with, but it's just so comical and not funny, literally, but the way that they point fingers when they should be pointing them at themselves too, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah. And, and Sam Bankman fried was seen as a hero of sorts in the industry. Yep. You know, he spent a bunch of time lobbying on Capitol Hill, which we'll talk a little bit about that later. Mm -hmm. 
but he was just seen as a sort of golden golden kid of crypto. And at the end of the day, it's like a very simple, very obvious sort of glaring mistake that he had made, which is levering up against this token that was an internal token that was driving the majority of the value of his own business. And so as an investor, you got to wonder, like, how did a VC like look at that and think like, oh, it's going to be fine? How do you not spot the systemic risk? And the irony is even greater to me because SBF just spent the past couple of months going and bailing out exchanges that literally failed because of the same exact issue that was endemic to FTX. Yeah. I think also, though, here is a big theme around centralization, which is something I talk to a lot of VCs about. And the shift right now and the focus for VCs is looking at like decentralization as the future of Web3 and crypto. Of course, centralization will still have to exist for institutions to get involved, yes. But a number of players in the space told me their main focus is going to be decentralization, hands down. Basically, why decentralization? Well, it's centered around trusting blockchain technology to execute through smart contracts. It's more transparent. Everything's on chain. So you can see where things are going or have been opposed to, you know, private institutions, centralized institutions that are not publicly traded, you know, like we saw with FTX, who have their own right to keep things under wraps because they don't have to disclose things like their balance sheets or how they're using their funds if they're not a publicly traded company. But, you know, with decentralization, it's all out there in the open, whether or not you know how to read it. You could hire someone to do that, of course. (laughs) Or you could look at on-chain data through, like, services that might make it a little more transparent. But decentralization is really only understandable to a limited number of people. So, like I mentioned before, if you want institutions, you have to have centralized investments, too. Yeah. And I think this points to a really interesting tension in the crypto space. You know, people who aren't in Web3 might assume that a lot of these entities are decentralized, but that's not actually true. Like most of the exchanges that we've seen either have trouble or even just be talked about in the past couple of months have all been centralized. Like we had Celsius, we had BlockFi, we had Voyager, like Mm -hmm. all of these have faced some challenges. FTX is centralized. They're a private company. Coinbase is a public company, but they are centralized as well. And so at the end of the day, they're all subject to the risks of sort of having concentration of power, having one entity oversee a lot of the transactions. And while Coinbase does have better disclosures because it's public, they are still vulnerable to a lot of the same risks of being a centralized entity. So while we're talking about decentralization and centralization, I mean, one thing that comes to mind is just how powerful Binance specifically has come out of this whole situation looking. Everyone sort of said this is a huge flex from CZ. This is a huge flex from Binance. But at the same time, you know, I've been thinking a lot about how this could potentially hurt Binance itself. You know, at the end of the day, they're a huge player in the crypto space. They have a U.S. entity and their U.S. entity just got some approvals to operate in certain U.S. states. Obviously, their U.S. entity is not a huge part of their customer base. Binance is much larger globally, but it still could have some implications for their U.S. subsidiary. And it could also just hurt Binance from the standpoint of the broader crypto market. Like, it's really interesting to see these ripple effects play out because Solana, for example, has been hit really hard. Solana was in a lot of ways propped up by FTX, propped up by Sam Bankman-Fried, And their token price is down quite significantly because of all of this mess. And at the end of the day, how could that come back to hurt Binance? Well, trading fees are the main source of revenue for crypto exchanges. So if crypto tokens like Solana continue to trade down, people are going to be worried about a recession. They're not going to want to trade crypto as much or as often. And so it could end up being a situation where Binance seems like a a winner in the short term, but ends up shooting itself in the foot in the long term. 
I think this also really speaks to another topic of regulatory impact, especially when it comes to Binance. You know, they have their own position in the U.S., whether it's a sister company or however you want to look at it. But they're more subsidiary. of a <laughs> subsidiary. Who knows? They're pretty internationally based. But SBF, he had such a heavy presence in the U.S., especially in D.C. I remember when I saw him at Crypto Bahamas. Rest in peace to that conference. It'll probably never happen again. He, like, joked oh, that— I heard it was really fun, too. <laughs> he joked that um, he was in D.C., like, all the time. That was his second home. And so it's really interesting to see, basically, someone who was such an advocate for— you know, regulation of crypto become almost on the other side of the coin. And uh, SEC Chair Gary Gensler today said that what we've seen in the last few days, if I can sort of step back from it, it's really part of a pattern of what we have seen over the past six or eight months. This is Gensler speaking, not me. And he said that during a conference. And he basically said, investors get hurt when we don't reply upon the time-tested public policy guardrails. Wow. Pretty strong words from Gary Gensler <laughs> there and pretty wild because, yeah. you know, just a short while ago, it seemed like SBF had the ear of regulators. It seemed like he was really in collaboration with them. And that in a way, that's also kind of what started this whole shit in the first place with Binance between SBF and CZ. Mm -hmm. So there is this piece of legislation called the DCCPA, and that is a bill that could potentially basically kneecap the whole DeFi industry. It has a lot of pretty severe provisions, but SBF was a big proponent of this bill. And so in part of his lobbying for this bill, there's been a lot of speculation that he potentially was sort of making Binance look bad and like ratting them out to regulators, specifically in terms of the link between CZ and China. A lot of this has just been speculated on. We obviously don't know what exactly conversations were had between SBF and the regulators behind closed doors. But CZ did tweet when all of this, you know, the Twitter beef was beginning to unfold. When he was talking about why he had decided to liquidate FTT, he said, we gave support before, but we won't pretend to make love after divorce. We are not against anyone, but we won't support people who lobby against other industry players behind their backs. Onwards. Oof. Yeah. And this was before he was like, yeah, maybe we'll give you a deal FTX. I feel like it was almost like a power move by CZ because like what he just said there, what you just said is like, screw you guys. I'm not helping you. And then he's like, maybe we'll help you. And it almost felt like a, it was like looking down on FTX and SBF and basically like saying, yeah, yeah we like could help you, but we're not going to. You know, well, and Binance has been seen like this big <laughs> bad guy in, in the eyes of the regulators yeah. and SBF was seen as this golden child. And now CZ is like, oh, you were talking shit. Is that what was happening? <laughs> I, I honestly wish I could have been a fly on the wall in those conversations. And I'm sure, you know, for SBF, too, like it probably was really hard for him and <laughs> whoever else was on that phone call to reach out to Binance and be like, hey, help us. And then Binance looked at them, as we talked about in the beginning of this podcast, and they were like, uh, we're good. You know, like less about 24 hours later. There's a funny little tidbit that I read today, too, that apparently SBF called up OKX, another mm -hmm. crypto exchange, before he called Binance. So he was sort of going down his contact list, you know, seeing who could potentially bail him out. OKX yeah. apparently said no because they were worried about like too much market consolidation. Mm. But, you know, this has had some pretty big implications for FTX already. Today, when we're recording this on Wednesday, the news broke from Bloomberg that FTX is actually under investigation by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, as well as the CFTC. And they're investigating FTX's relationship with its sister entity, Alameda Research. 
as well as its relationship with FTX US. And they're looking into a lot of the liquidity issues that led to this very crisis in the first place. The investigations have not been publicly disclosed at this point, but Bloomberg basically reported that this started months ago as a probe into FTX US and its crypto lending activities. You know, it's a bit frustrating about that is because you just said it started months ago. Why didn't they yeah. release that to the public months ago? I know they like to do things under the wrap sometimes because it might mess with an investigation. But if their general theme is to protect investors, they should have made it an announcement right when they saw problems or potential problems. Because think of how many retail investors and institutional investors or whoever used FTX's platforms was now a victim to it when they knew what was going on just my take. I think that's a fair take. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm, I'm not a regulator and I don't know what considerations the SEC was taking mm-hmm. into account when they decided not to actually publicly disclose this. But honestly, yeah, like I think that it's just there have been whispers and rumors, honestly, within the journalism community for a long time of mm-hmm. people who cover crypto saying like everything looks too good to be true with FTX. How is it possible that in such a horrible bear market, Sam Bankman fried actually has the cash to go and rescue all of these other like failing entities. How are they doing so well? Like trading volumes are down. Everyone's getting hit hard. Like Binance is kind of a black box too. I would say it's not like we have a ton of transparency into what their financials look like. So, you know, disclaimer, I can't really talk about how they're doing. But I know for a while people were speculating that like something looks sketchy or seems fishy about FTX. And perhaps if we had heard they were under active investigation a little earlier... I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe some of this could have been prevented. I think the saying, if it looks too good to be true, then it probably is, definitely applies here. And I was talking to a hedge fund manager today, and they basically said to me, until there's proper regulation on these centralized actors, we're going to see history repeating itself. Like what we saw with Celsius, BlockFi, and Voyager, what we just saw with FTX. Well, I'm sure in a couple months' time, there will be a conversation of, oh, well, we saw this with FTX. You know, like... It's almost like things will keep coming in a cycle, unfortunately, until this industry matures and there's proper regulatory guide rails put in place. It also goes to show that when we talk about regulation varying from region to region and people are always saying, you know, U.S. regulators are the ones who are cracking down the most. It's almost as though you would think a company like FTX, which was headquartered in the Bahamas outside of the U.S., would not be subject to some of this regulatory heat from the U.S., But because crypto is so intertwined, because all of these companies are so global, even though FTX US technically is like a separate subsidiary from FTX, like, okay, a lot of the major crypto exchanges have this bullshit going on. (laughs) I've had beef with this for a long time, but I also get why they, I get why they do it. Mm -hmm. Like they'll have like their global entity and then they'll have a separate US entity because US regulators are more of hardos than like regulators in other countries. But like at the end of the day, they're still the same company, right? So like, even though you would think that FTX wouldn't be affected by US regulatory action, they totally are. And that's why. SBF must have been spending this much time in D.C. talking to regulators. And it's just so ironic that he was the guy going there and saying, we need to crack down on DeFi. We need to regulate DeFi. A few weeks later, he finds himself in this hot water after showing all this face in D.C. I don't know. It's not what anyone expected, even if there were some rumors that FTX might not have been doing as financially well as we thought. Yeah, I actually saw a video of SBF today, and he was in a room of lawmakers, and he was talking about the 2008 financial crisis. And he basically said, quote, no one knew how much risk was in that system until it all fell apart. Wow. And that also applies here. So 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like we should just end on that quote. Like that kind of says it all. Yeah, we'll have to see how this all unfolds and how it all evolves. And I think we're going to see all of these threads get untangled over the coming weeks. But this is certainly not the end. It's definitely just the beginning. So normally, Jackie and I use this time to give you guys a little preview of some of the things that we have been working on. But I will say that this week, even our best laid plans kind of fell apart with all of the breaking news that came up. We are even more excited now for our crypto event next week on the 17th in Miami. CZ is going to be joining us virtually for a fireside chat. So that should be super exciting. And in the meantime, I guess we'll just have to see what other crazy crypto news and drama arises before the event, because I'm sure there's going to be something. We'll be back every week with the top news on the crypto ecosystem. Catch us on Tuesdays for interviews with experts in the Web3 space. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform, and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and the stories we talked about can be found in our show notes, and be sure to follow us at Chain underscore Reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself, Anita Ramaswamy, along with my co-host, Jacqueline Melanick. We are produced by Ashad Kulkarni, and our associate producer is Maggie Stamets, with editing by Cal Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovet manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.